Amen. You can be seated. I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word if you have one with you. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians is a New Testament book. It's one of the Apostle Paul's letters. So just get past Acts and you'll hit Paul's letters. Keep going, you'll hit Philippians. Philippians, we're looking at Philippians 1, 1 through 11 this morning, starting a new sermon series. There are a few things I actually want to point out to you uh, on your way out. If you did not get it on your way in, if you go on your way out on the bench to the right, there is an intro guide that Avery and I put together, Avery put together, that I contributed to. Um, I would never be able to put something together like that. I'd just send you guys a Word document or something. Um, but uh, a nice resource, easy to, to use, easy to read. It gives you a lot of background information, a lot of introductory information that actually saves me a lot of time in the sermon because I don't have to cover all of those things. I can point you to that resource. And so I would encourage you to go and uh, pick that up on your way out. Um, another thing that I want to encourage you to get, again, this is free of charge, um, is a, uh, the little black journals that are out there. They are Philippians scripture journals. So on every page you'll have uh, on the left-hand side, I believe it's the left-hand side, a set of text from the passage, and then you'll have a space to take notes. It's a great way to walk through the way that we preach through Bible books, verse by verse, going all the way through it. By the end of it, if you use it, you will have the book of Philippians and all of your reflections through our sermon series in one place. So I would encourage you to pick up a copy there. If we run out, we will make sure to get some more. So just want to point out those two things as we start. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series. We're going to be walking through the book of Philippians for the next 10 weeks. It'll take us right up to about three weeks before Easter, and during that time we'll do an Easter series that lasts that long. Um, we are doing this because we believe, if you could think of the gospel, if you could think of the gospel as a diamond, you think of the gospel as a diamond. This, this gospel, it is a diamond. It is a precious stone. And this diamond, a diamond has what? It has, it has multiple facets or faces on it. And so one of the jobs that, that I have been entrusted to, one of my roles here at the church, along with my brother elders, is to discern which face of the diamond that is the gospel that we need to gaze into as a church. Because the gospel is so multifaceted. It is simple. It is the truth that God has saved sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is that good news. But that good news has far-reaching implications into our lives. Our experience of the gospel is multifaceted. There is, there is rest that comes through the gospel. There, there is forgiveness that comes through the gospel. There's grace and there's mercy but there's one face of that diamond that we don't look at that often, and it is that of joy. Jesus died for your joy, for your eternal happiness, Jesus died. And we don't think about that that often. And so we think it's a good time for us to shift this gospel diamond and shine a light on its joy. Now, when we talk about joy, I, I do like the way that John Piper, by the way, John Piper has probably written more on the topic of joy than any other modern writer. Um, he has probably thought more about it than anyone uh, since Jonathan Edwards. I can't think of anyone who has thought more of joy than John Piper. And John Piper defines Christian joy in this way. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. 
That's how he starts it. Now, first of all, is that not so important? Because if you were going to define happiness to someone, what does it mean to be happy? What What does it mean to be joyful? It's kind of hard to define, isn't it? What is it? I don't know. You just kind of I mean, you just kind of know it when you feel it, don't you? Like you know when you're happy. You just feel it's a feeling. I love how he says even Christian joy. There's not like some distinction between secular joy and Christian joy. And secular joy you feel, but feeling is bad. So Christian joy is just a reality that you exist in. No, he says Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul, produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Over the next 10 weeks, I want us to dig deep into the the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi to see how we can be happier Christians. Now, you may already be cynical just hearing that, but does that not sound good if you could just take your cynical hat off and put it to the side for a minute? To be even, even just 5% happier in Christ, would that not be a good thing? For us to be happier Christians, for our church to be a happier church? If people came and visited, if they had one takeaway, it was, man, those people, they're happy people. They're joyful. And the reason we, we kind of, you know, uh, reflex from that is, is for the same reason that I do. It just sounds so superficial, Like, the last thing I want is for us to just pretend that there are no problems in the world and pretend that sin isn't a real thing and we're just burying our problems behind just a fake and phony smile that we put on every week. And, you know, I I used to, there was, there used to be this uh, worship leader at my home church and he would every single week just force everyone to smile. He'd force it. He would not even start the next song. He'd be like, you see these two fingers? Everybody hold up their two fingers. And you'd go, like that. And he did it almost every week to try to get people to smile. And the people who were already smiling laughed at him. And the people who were like having a hard time, there was no chance that he was going to get a, a smile out of them. I don't want some glib, you know, just cheerfulness for the sake of cheerfulness to fill our church. I want us to learn what it means to be truly happy in God. I want us to learn what it means to be truly joyful in God in such a way to know that we have access to a a good feeling in the soul that transcends anything we could experience in this world. Whether it's bad or good, there's nothing that can happen to us that can touch this joy that is rooted in our hearts that caused Paul to once write, I am sorrowful. I am a man who is full of sorrow and yet I am always rejoicing. We're, we're going to explore that um, this year. We're going to do it by looking at Philippians. Um, and in Philippians, it is a letter that was written by Paul. It was written to the church at Philippi. And just a couple things for you to know. Philippi was actually a really important city. It was a, it was a significant city historically in the Roman Empire. What I learned in my study this week is it actually was the location of the battle in which Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius. The, those were the, two, the assassins of Julius Caesar, if you're, if you're not familiar with it. So Philippi was the place where that battle took place. It was really interesting in 42 BC is when that happened. And then later Octavian defeated Antony there and he rebuilt the city of Philippi and he actually gave it the highest privilege that a Roman colony could obtain. So Philippi was not just an ordinary city. It was an important, significant city, both both at its time and historically. Um, Now, the other thing about the church at Philippi, so the audience, the people that would have first read this letter, 
um, which I always find so interesting anytime. It's, I almost just tear up every time I hear God's word read in this way. As Christy was reading Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, it's just amazing to me that we're reading this and those saints, those Christians would have actually received this letter you know, in 60, 61, 62 AD, guys, and opened it up and stood in a setting sort of like this, like, hey, Paul wrote us a letter, and read that and read Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all, the, I mean, not in English, you know, but you get what I mean, would have read this. It blows my mind every time. But he did, he wrote this, and this was a special church to Paul. And it's not because, you know, they just were knocking it out of the park in every way. It was a special church to Paul because this church was the first that he planted, and we, that story comes in Acts chapter 16. If you want to go back and, and review that, um, it was established through the gospel ministry of Paul. And like I said, it was written sometime between 60 and 62 AD. It was written while Paul, and he's going to talk about his circumstances, his present suffering in the letter, while he was in prison. And we walked through the book of Acts. We saw that whole journey from Paul. But he wrote this letter under house arrest in Rome. And he wrote it, and he was able to receive visitors evidently the church at Philippi had sent a visitor with a gift, taking it to Paul, and then Paul writes this letter, gives it to him, and he sends it back. And so in the letter, he's addressing, you know, here's an update on how I'm doing. And he's addressing probably a couple uh, concerns. It, it seems the Philippians were experiencing some measure of disunity. Disunity is not a modern church problem. Um, they were experiencing some measure of that. Uh, they were probably experiencing some measure of influence from false teachers. That's, that's addressed in the letter too. But Paul is also writing this letter to encourage and express his deep gratitude and joy in this church. Joy, in all of its cognates, anything re rejoice, be joyful, joy, is mentioned 16 times in this letter. It's a short letter. So joy is a prominent theme throughout. And it's my prayer that as we walk through this, that God would use his word over the next few months to root out the cynicism that's in our hearts, the cynicism that's in my heart. You see, I need Philippians right now in this season of my life. It, it has been far too easy over the past four years for my heart to grow cold and for, for my heart to become bitter toward people in general toward the church toward the things of God and just go through the motions that is easy for me to do it's so easy for me to do it's scary and I don't know if you've ever been there where not participating in the life of the church or not following through with spiritual disciplines or feeling cold toward God and his people is easy and that's scary when it's easy but that happens to us when our circumstances make life hard. Paul says there is access in Christ to a type of joy, a type of good feeling in the soul that cannot be overcome by any of those circumstances. So I'm praying as we walk through Philippians that God would use his word to root out our cynicism by, in the words of C.S. Lewis, surprising us with his joy. And here's what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks. We're going to see 10 occasions for joy. I was going to say reasons, but it's not, not always a reason. It's, 
Suffering as a reason for joy sounds strange, but as an occasion for joy makes a little bit more sense. Um, There are 10 occasions for joy that we find in this letter to the Philippians. And the first one comes right in the passage that Christy just read. And it is that we can have joy in the church. Joy in the church. And that's what I want to show you this morning. How your heart can actually be filled with this good feeling. It can be sparked by the Holy Spirit as you think and as you reflect on the church itself. The church should bring joy to our hearts. Now, we're going to ask three questions. First, why don't we have joy in the church? Why? why? What What are some causes for that? Why don't we feel joy in the church? Second, why we should have joy in the church? Why should we? Why should we have joy in the church? And then third and finally, how can we do it? How can we have joy in the church? So why don't we? Why should we? And how can we? Have joy in the church. First, this is the fun part for me. I love to focus on the problems, don't you? Let's get real negative, down and dirty. Here we go. Um, why don't we have joy in the church? Why not? What, what is it? Why, why don't we have? And for some of you that are like, I disagree. I feel joy in the church. That's awesome. And I'm glad. But there may be another season in your life where you don't feel joy in the church. Why is that? Now, when I refer to joy in the church... I'm primarily talking about the people of the church, the people. That's what you see here from Paul. He is deeply grateful for, and he is so joyful in the people of the church at Philippi. It wasn't like a particular ministry they had or, or anything like that. It was the people, the members of the church. That's, that's where his joy was. But we can also say the church's practices. So who the church is and what the church does. That's, that's what I'm kind of talking about whenever we are, are talking about joy in the church. Now, why don't we have joy in the church? All right, first, I believe we don't have joy in the church because of some cultural assumptions that we bring into the church. Two of them come to mind. If you were in the equipping class, we covered this a little bit. One is negativity bias. Negativity bias. We, as a culture, are prone, we are biased toward the negative. You watch the news, you watch sports, you watch any show, you watch any, anything, read a book, anything. If it's more modern, it is prone, it is biased toward negativity. I told the class this morning, uh, one of my favorite sports talk personalities, he says he doesn't root for any team. I don't root for any team, I root for chaos. I want there to be chaos in the world of sports. I want there to be conflict and fighting because it drives my ratings. I I have job security when everything is just out of whack and chaotic and people are fighting. And it's because we are biased toward negativity. If all he talked about all day long were all the great things happening in the world of sports, his show would not be on the air for very long. We're we're, we're biased toward it. Um, We are much the same way. I know as a pastor in my preaching... Preach a sermon. Afterward, people will say, hey, thank you so much for that. Hey, that was really encouraging. Hey, I was really helped by that. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's, you know, all across. And then one person just doesn't talk to me or something. Like I just say, hey, how's it going? And they just wave. I immediately assume the absolute worst. I obviously offended them in the sermon. 
Obviously, I said something that was just wrong. What is wrong with me? Hang on, let me go back and I'll, I'll get it. I'll go on Facebook and listen to the whole sermon on the way home. What did I say? What did I say here? Did I mean to say this? And I'm so worried and I'm so, and then I get, ne- and I'm just prone, I'm biased toward that negativity that I'm actually presuming upon the person. They're probably just hungry, you know, or maybe they just have to go somewhere. They just got to get out quick and didn't intend anything by it. But I'm biased toward the negative. And we bring that into the life of the church, and it affects our experience. And so when I leave, I don't have that that good feeling of the soul that Piper talks about. I've got this really anxious feeling of the soul that's, that's just driving me mad. We have a negativity bias. Here's something else that we bring into the church. A happiness assumption. Okay, so we live in a culture, we live in a day and age that assumes, this language is important, assumes happiness is a basic human right. Happiness is a basic human right. And so the the application from that, what we're seeing in our culture, it's not just now, it's for the past 300 years. People believe that they have the power, the, the, the right to pursue and seek and find happiness however they see fit. And then, you know, over time, there's the caveat that, you know, as long as you're not impeding the happiness of someone else, do whatever you want. Pursue, pursue, pursue happiness. And why are people doing that? Because there's this cultural assumption that happiness is a basic human right. Now, that wasn't always the case. In Paul's day, and this is important for understanding the stuff that he says about happiness and joy in Philippians. In Paul's day, happiness was viewed as an impossible reality for the overwhelming majority of people. Here's what historian Darren McMahon wrote. Um, He wrote this in a book that he titled The History of Happiness. He's commenting on ancient Greek assumptions about happiness, and then he's going to contrast them with our own. This is what he said. To believe oneself happy in the meantime is premature and probably an illusion, for the world is cruel and unpredictable, governed by forces beyond our control, Happiness at the dawn of Western history was largely a matter of chance. So, so a long time ago, years ago, the day, in the days that Paul is writing this letter, there were not cultural assumptions that you deserve to be happy. It, if you were happy, it was where we get our English word happy. It was happenstance. It was just, it was chance. It was fortune. It was, you know, the gods just kind of gave, but you couldn't find it. You couldn't achieve it. And so throughout the course of history, that change. Modern people believe happiness is a basic human right. It's embedded in our own Declaration of Independence, right? That, that happiness is a divine right. And McMahon, he comments on this too in his book. He says, to be happy is a right, a natural human entitlement, perhaps even a moral obligation. Arguably, there is no greater modern assumption than that it lies within our power to find happiness. Now, these two assumptions that we bring in, negativity bias and a happiness assumption, they fuel one another and make it almost impossible for us to rejoice in each other. Because if, if you are responsible, you're the captain of your soul, you are responsible and you are empowered to seek and find your own happiness, and it's up to you, and you don't find it, and you can't find it, and you're looking and you're searching, and, and you can't, it will crush your heart. It will crush your soul. 
It will be even harder to find. The other thing is, it will be difficult for you to receive happiness from anyone else because it's up to you to find it. These two perspectives are toxic for our experience of the gospel in the life of the church. We assume a right to happiness. We're biased toward negativity. That is a formula for a sad and sorrowful Christian and a sad and sorrowful church. Now, something else. Um, one other reason that we don't find happiness in the church is personal experience. Personal experience. When we think about joy, when you think about happiness or you think about joy, the first thing we think about is some kind of circumstance. We, we tie our feelings of happiness and joy to circumstances. Are you happy this week? And what, what, what filters through your mind immediately? Did you have a happy week? Are you joyful right now? Immediately you start thinking through the things that are happening to you or the things that you're doing. It's circumstance-based. It's circumstance-related. And so some of us may not be rejoicing in the church. It may be hard for us or any of us to rejoice in the church because of circumstances, experiences we've had. And so, so maybe, maybe we've just experienced so much conflict or we've been sinned against in serious ways. And, and that just that presses in on us, those circumstances and those experiences, which, by the way, are, are not to be belittled. Like, we don't, we don't push that down and ignore it and, and act as if it's unimportant. But we experience something negative in the life of the church, and it makes it difficult moving forward to experience joy in the church. Because our circumstances and our experiences are dictating our, the, the, the experience of the gospel in our hearts. So through these assumptions that we bring and through the experiences we've had, we may not consider the church to be a positive source of joy in our lives. And the church for you may be a lot like broccoli or, man, I'm sorry guys, but kale. Like, um, I guess it's good, you know, like for you. Like, you know, it's, it's good for you. It's just not good, you know. It's terrible. It's awful. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't bring you... It's good for you. You know, I'll, I'll eat it if I'm really trying to be healthy. And maybe you view the church that way. Like, I mean, I'll go. I'll participate. I'll, I'll do the things, you know, I, because it's good for me. It's good for my heart. Let me just take a bite of that. Just, oh, oh yeah. Woo. Made it through another Sunday. But it's, it's not good to your heart. You don't taste and see the goodness of the Lord in and through the church. That is entirely possible. Now, we need to look at a few reasons why you should. Why you should. Why you should not view the church as just something that is good for you, but something that is just good. Like, you know, I've been really encouraged by these diets that a couple of you guys are on that tell me that I can just eat as much bacon as I want, is what I'm hearing. It's what I'm hearing, you know. I'm, it's not being said, but that is what I'm hearing. That, that is good. And if it's good for me to eat a lot of protein and it tastes good, that's just good. There are reasons here. I want you to look with me down at verse uh, 7. So Paul is expressing all of this joy that he has in the church at Philippi. And I want you to notice what he says about it. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. That, that is such an important phrase in all of what I'm about to say. Paul is saying, it is right, it is proper for me to rejoice in the church. So listen, it, it, is, 
It is not just something you should do. It's not just a good thing. It is right. It is proper for you to seek and find joy in the church. All right? So now how? How do we do that? Why, why should we have joy in the church? Paul gives us two reasons. Two reasons. First, gospel partnership. Second, God's presence. Gospel partnership, God's presence. Gospel partnership. Look at verse 3. So after this greeting, he, he begins with a thanksgiving and a prayer. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is expressing his gratitude. I, he's thanking God. Every time they are brought to mind, every time he remembers the church at Philippi, he thanks God for them. And he says, always, in every single prayer of his for them, he makes that prayer with joy. In other words, when the Lord brings the church at Philippi to Paul's mind, his heart is filled with joy. Is that not a good goal for us to have? That for that to be your experience? It just so often isn't in so many churches. I don't know that I've ever been in a church where the expectation is, hey, when you think of others in this church, your heart should kind of leap for joy a little bit. You should have that good feeling down deep in your soul whenever you think about other people in the church. And by the way, do you notice what Paul says here? He says it over and over again in this little section. You all, you all, all of you. He's, he's not saying he has his favorites, the, the, the uber faithful in the church that he just rejoices in so much because of how faithful they are. It's every single member of that church. He has this deep, God-centered, Christ-motivated joy in them because of who they are, because of their partnership with him in the gospel. What a goal this would be. Every single time that you are brought to my mind. My heart just, I just leaps a little bit. I just feel happy. I feel joyful in you. Now, again, that's going to take some work. We're going to get there in a second. Okay. So he says first that their partnership in the gospel, and then later he's going to say their participation or their partaking in grace causes his soul to leap for joy. Now, let's, let's think about what he's talking about here. Partnership in the gospel. That refers to the church's mission, what the church does. Paul is rejoicing in the Philippian church because they have partnered with him in gospel ministry. Now, they had done this in tangible ways. They had supported his ministry financially. They had sent him gifts, and this most recent gift that they're sending him, he had just received, so it's fresh on his mind. He is so thankful. He is so joyful in them because they are continuing the gospel ministry that, that he began in them. And so he is, he's just excited that they are still partnering with him in the gospel. Um, they are supporting him financially. They are supporting him by carrying out the gospel witness still in Philippi. Now, the gospel was so central to Paul's life that it brought so much happiness to his heart when he saw other people believing and teaching and living it out. Does that cause your heart to leap for joy? So, for example, you're in a life group. And you're, you're just talking with each other and someone shares, maybe they shared how, you know, something they had been struggling with before they feel like they're making progress on, you know, maybe it's, you know, I know I said I wanted to read the Bible more this year. I feel like I'm doing that. Like I, I'm reading the Bible more this year. Does that make your heart leap for joy? Like, are we, are we others focused in that way? Or, you know, are you like I am sometimes in conversations? Someone tells you something about 
something they're doing and you sometimes feel the social anxiety of what to say back to them that you're not even really listening to what they're saying and you're just thinking about your own response or you don't ask them more about what they're doing instead you just like share something similar about your own life for Paul Anytime he saw the gospel being lived out, anytime he saw God working in someone's life, a partnership in the gospel, you're working together to build up one another, to witness to Jesus, to advance the gospel. Anytime you see it, your heart just is filled with joy. Do we feel this way about our mission partners? Those who are, are right now in other, other parts of the world, the Smiths just back in Papua New Guinea, and they're doing the work of the ministry there. Are, are we rejoicing in the fact that they are doing that? And that we're able to partner with them and serve them. Does it bring joy to your heart? It should. We should rejoice in the mere fact of our church's worship. The fact that we're here. The fact that we're here and we're confessing the truths of the faith. That we're opening the scriptures and we're reading them together. These ordinary steps of obedience to the Lord. These ordinary means of grace in which we grow in the likeness of Jesus should bring us a measure of happiness. We should feel good. We should feel lifted up whenever we come to church and we get to interact with each other. Why? Paul gives us the language because we're partnering together for the sake of the gospel. We're partnering together. Um, there are a few guys here that are, are pursuing ministry. You guys, like as we continue to meet, this is the goal. This is the goal, and I want our joy to just like fill and lift each other up as we are growing in our pursuit of, of shepherding God's people. This is a gospel partnership, and in any way that you're involved in this church, whether you're serving in kids' ministry or you're serving in the nursery, understand this is a gospel partnership, and it should be our joy to participate in this way and partner together. Okay, so there's partnership in the gospel should fuel joy in our hearts. But there's something else here that's, that's so interesting. He says that we should also rejoice because we are fellow partakers of God's grace. Look down to verse 7 again. This is what, this is what uh, Paul writes. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Why? Why, why does he hold them so dearly in his heart? For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel what's Paul essentially saying here I'm in Rome I'm in prison yet you are with me the grace that I am partaking in that I'm participating in you are participating in He's expressing joy and gratitude in the church for the fact of their participation in God's grace. This is a source of joy for Paul for a couple reasons. First, Paul is essentially rejoicing in who the church is. I don't know if you have ever done this, and I don't do it that often. I'm going to try to do it more intentionally. A pursuit of joy, by the way, is really just an exercise in intentionality. I, I, sometimes I just look around the room Sometimes I'll do it when y'all are singing. I try not to do it, obviously, because nothing would be creepier than someone turning around and looking at you while you're singing. Like, uh, that'd be hard to come back from. That is not going to fuel joy in anyone's heart. Um, <laughs> so I try not to do that. Occasionally, occasionally, though, I'll just get like a little glance. And here's why, here's why I do that. 
or even just looking at you guys just sitting here and, and you'll look down at God's word. It brings joy to my heart to know that no matter how long we're all together in this faith family on this earth, I know because we are fellow partakers, fellow participants in the grace of God through Jesus, that we will be together eternally. This, this, is, this is not no ordinary group of people. You're sitting next to someone who will enjoy eternal, the eternal bliss of the new heavens and the new earth. You're, you're talking to someone who is going to be with Jesus forevermore. You're, you're talking with people. Our mission here on earth, it will one day be completed and then we will just rejoice eternally with God. It, it, it's amazing to me. I marvel at God's grace. Why? Not because we're the best that society has to offer. We know that's not true. But because we are partaking of God's grace. We're partaking of his grace. We are taking and we are eating. We are taking and we are drinking. Fully dependent on the body and blood of Jesus in our place. And if you are in Christ today, and you see someone else who is in Christ, you are seeing someone who is a fellow partaker of God's grace, and it should fuel joy in your heart. He's rejoicing in who the church is. Second, Paul is rejoicing in the shared life that we have together in this grace. He says the church partakes in grace with him in his imprisonment. The church partakes, no matter how you, you see this next part, whether it's in Paul's own defense and confirmation of the gospel or the Philippians, they are together in this project of defense and confirmation of the gospel. He rejoices because he knows he is not alone. The Philippians are with him in his suffering, and they likewise are suffering, and he is with them. But the point is, no one suffers alone. We are fellow partakers in the grace of God. No one suffers alone. No one rejoices alone. There is a sense of belonging that comes from this grace of which we all partake. Participating in grace together means that we belong to one another. And that truth makes an imprisoned man sound like a truly happy man. And knowing that we are not alone in our suffering can fuel this strange, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing kind of joy, no matter what we face in life, because we are fellow partakers of God's grace. Okay, so gospel partnership. Second, God's presence. This is a reason we should rejoice. God's presence. Do you notice what Paul does here? He kind of breaks his, his train of thought in verse 6, and he kind of goes off base, and he says something completely seemingly unrelated. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And then later in verses 9 through 11, this is why he prays. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. His hope and his prayer for them is that they keep growing, keep growing in the love of God in Christ, keep advancing, keep becoming more and more like Jesus. And he sees that the only way this can happen is if God continues to work in them. And he gives them this assurance. God, who began a good work in you, he will bring that good work to completion. 
Paul is rejoicing in this church because of the work of God he sees in their lives. This is why you should rejoice in the church. Not because it's meeting every single need that you have. Not not because every single ministry that we have or every single thing that we do or sermon that's preached just fits exactly to your liking. Now you should rejoice in the church anytime you see God at work. Anytime. When, when you see God working and anytime you just see another Christian because you are confident that God will continue to work, that he will never give up on any Christian in this room. If you are in Christ, God will be, uh, bring that work he began in you to completion. And Paul is encouraging them with this and he's rejoicing in them with this. It should bring our hearts joy to see God's presence and his power in and through one another. Okay. So we talked about why we don't rejoice. Talked about two really big reasons why we should. Because we are partners and partakers of the gospel and because of God's presence in us. Last thing we need to see, how can we actually do this? How can we have joy in the church? Because I can give you the reasons all day. Here are the reasons that you should feel joyful. Thank you. I still don't, you know? What steps can we take practically? First, I would encourage you to come to our equipping class at 9 a.m. I would, seriously. We're, we're walking through a book called The Happy Christian, and it is incredibly practical. Beginning next week, we talked about the premise of the book uh, this morning, but beginning next week, we get super practical. Uh, he, he gives us 10 ways that we can actually pursue a more positive and more joyful experience as, as believers in Christ. So I would encourage you to do that. But two things, essentially, um, that we can do. One is participate. And two is practice. Participate. If you want to have joy in the church, you need to participate in the life of the church. Just be here. It sounds so simple. And it is, I'm sorry, it's not earth shattering. Just be here. The more more you're here, the more opportunities you have to intentionally reflect on these things. The more you're here and the more you spend time with other believers, the more opportunities you have to see God at work in them. The more you're here, the more you are collectively confessing our faith together. So participate. Another way you may need to participate is maybe maybe you've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe you're not a believer. The first way to partake in the grace of God is to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. You partake. You partner initially by believing. So, so maybe you need to believe in Christ for the first time. I would encourage you to do that. When you do that, it opens you to this kind of deep foundational joy that can withstand the storms of life. Okay? So participate by believing. Participate by belonging. By just being here. Being invested. Being involved. If you're not in a life group, if you're in a life group, great. I would encourage you to to keep participating in a life group. If you're not in a life group and it doesn't work for you to participate, find other ways to connect. Make it all the more a priority for you to come at 9 a.m. to our equipping classes on Sunday morning. Just reach out to someone to, to have coffee with them. The more you participate in the life of the church, the more you will grow in the likeness of Christ. I want you to think about it. Just for the mere fact that you came this Sunday, 
And typically, we, we practice the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of every month. But just the mere fact that you came this Sunday and you showed up, you were going to have right before your eyes a tangible example of what it looks like to partake of God's grace together. And this, it should fuel your heart with joy as you do this, as we come to the table together. You wouldn't have that opportunity if you, if you were not here, if you weren't able to participate. So participate. It will fuel your joy in the church. Second, practice. We need to do what Paul does here. Paul is just reflecting. You notice that? He's just like, hey, before I get into the things that I want to tell you about, I just got to let you know, I've been thinking about you guys, and I am so grateful for you. You know, you guys have partnered with me. You, you have been with me through thick and thin, and it just makes me happy. I'm just so happy for you. I'm so happy in you and what God is doing and what you have done for me and in our life together in Christ. It just makes me happy. He's just reflecting. He's reflecting on the realities. You need to practice that because we're not good at it. We're, we're naturally really good at looking for problems or identifying what we don't have. And so we, we you know, talk about our life together in a church and we, we just are so clear about what we don't have that we think we need. Like, man, if the church just had this, then I feel like I, you know, would be better. And that's a reflection exercise, too. And it's not a bad thing to do. We do that as elders every year at our retreat. We reflect on the good and the bad. But occasionally, maybe try reflecting on the good. What brings your heart joy when you think about the church, God's people? What what have you experienced recently that's just been good? It could be so simple and ordinary that you don't think anything about it. But the moment you write it down or the moment you commit it to memory or to prayer, it becomes a source of that good feeling of the soul that is sparked by the Holy Spirit that Piper talked about. We have to practice joy. Do it by reflecting. Pray the way that Paul does here. Pray for other church members. And you, you will notice how your heart will start to feel differently toward them. And, and its disposition will be more positive and joyful. And then lastly, do you notice how encouraging Paul is here? I'm not the best at this. I have to be honest with you. I'm not. Sometimes it makes me feel awkward. Like it does. It makes me feel awkward sometimes just to walk up to one of you guys and be like, I, I noticed you serving the other day. I just want to say, like, you have the heart of a servant. And you just, you love on those kids, or you, you serve in this ministry so well, and it just makes me, I don't know, it makes me feel weird sometimes to just give raw encouragement. It's like, okay, and? You know, because that's how I usually receive encouragement. It's like, okay, we're, we got a sandwich forming here, all right? So where's the meat coming? <laughs> the meat of the negativity or the criticism. It's like, butter me up for something, you know? Just raw encouragement. That's what Paul's doing here, raw encouragement. What if we were better at that? What if this was a place where people just, because, would send an encouraging text message? I'll tell you, i got to be honest with you, he would hate me for saying this, but there is one of our elders, I'm not even going to say his name, but there is one of our elders who is so good at this, just will send a text message that's nothing but encouragement, just something, or maybe it's something he's read, or something he's thinking about, or something he's praying for, or he'll, he'll ask you to lunch, or something like that, and then he'll always end, he'll be like, be encouraged, be encouraged. That takes no effort. You know, but it, but it lifts my heart up every time I open that text and I see it. What if this was a place where that stuff was, was common? 
We're just encouraging each other. We're reflecting on the good. I can promise you through those practices, your heart will be filled with more joy than if all we do is reflect on the bad or reflect on the negative or reflect on what's not there. So reflect on the church as it is. Rejoice in her people because of the partnership we have in the gospel, because of our participation in grace. All for the glory of God.